His foundation is in the holy mountains. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the other dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God. I shall mention Rahab and Babylon among those who know me. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Ethiopia, this one was born there. But of Zion it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her, and the Most High Himself will establish her. The Lord will count when He registers the people. This one was born there. Then those who sing as well as those who play the flute shall say, All my springs of joy are in you. So we've been looking at this psalm in which the Lord is speaking of this heavenly Jerusalem. There is an earthly Jerusalem, right? Over there in the Middle East. But there is a heavenly Jerusalem whose maker and architect is not man, but is of God Himself. And we saw in the book of Hebrews where this is where the saints go when they are absent from the body to be present with the Lord. Where is the Lord? He's in that city. And so that city has the spirits of just men, and we're not talking about male only, but just men made perfect there in that city. So we're just not going to leave our bodies to be present with the Lord and be on a cloud with a harp and just kind of strum along in all passivity for eternity. That is something man has imagined. But this is not God's plan for things. And of this city, you'll see this in verses 1 through 3, Here you have the foundation, God's foundation, the Lord's foundation is in the holy mountains and the Lord loves the gates of Zion more than any other dwelling places of Jacob here on this earth. And then he says in verse 3, glorious things are spoken of you. Now at this point you would think, well that has to be the Lord, right? Glorious things are spoken of the Lord, but here he says glorious things are spoken of you Old city of who? Old city of God. And what we have here is that the Lord's identification is so bound up in that city and the city is so bound up in the Lord that almost as if to speak of one is to speak of the other. So to speak of the Lord is to speak about his city and to speak about the city is to speak of the Lord. And we saw in verses 4 and 5... What things are spoken of you here in this psalm? And you'll see what is being spoken. Verse 4, I shall mention. Verse 5, but of Zion it shall be said. And then in verse 6, you have this response when the Lord registers the peoples. This one was born there. And then of course in verse 7, what kind of glorious things are being spoken? Things that are both vocal and instrumental. Everybody see that in verse 7. You have those who sing, that's vocal, as well as those who play the instruments shall say, all my springs of joy are in you. So you got some glorious things spoken about this city. 
And the first thing spoken is concerning the people in that city. And so in verse 4, you have Rahab, which is what nation? Did you write this in your Bible? It is? Is there a nation called Rahab? It's Egypt. And so you've got Egypt and Babylon among those who know me, Philistia and Tyre, Ethiopia. And if you look historically in your Old Testament, all those nations were enemies of the nation of Israel. So will Israel's enemies be in this city? The answer to that is yes. But with this qualification, they have to be what there? They have to be born there. And then we have the second glorious thing, and that is verse 5, when it speaks of the Jews. But of Zion, that is Jerusalem or Judea or the Jews itself, but of Zion it shall be said, this one and that one, which is really a colloquial phrase for everyone, everyone were born in her. And the Most High Himself will establish her. So not only are Gentiles included, but also Jews are included. But even Jewish people have to be what? Born there. And of course, this is exactly what Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Nicodemus said, we know that you are a prophet, you must be of God. And Jesus just said, look, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you must be born from above. Did Nicodemus understand? No, he didn't understand. And he should have understood. He was the chief ruler of that nation. And yet, he did not understand these things. So, that's a glorious joy, is that Gentiles are included, and that includes us. And it includes Jews who have been born from above. So you got Jew and Gentile together, and that all of those peoples, everyone there, have to be born there. You have to have a birthright to enter into this city. And by the way, the book of Hebrews says that that city is unshakable. That one day, God is going to shake not only the earth, but the universe. Can you imagine a universal earth, heavens, universal quaking. And that is going to happen one day. You can read about it in the book of Revelation. But folks, when the heavens quake and the earth quakes, this city will not be moved. So if you're in this city, are you safe? You are safe if you have been born from above. You have to have a birth certificate indicating that your birth city is heavenly. It is from the heavenly Jerusalem. That is a glorious joy that we have to look forward to. So the people that are there. And then we saw previously in verse 6, that glorious things are spoken about the citizenry of that city. It says the Lord will count when he registers the people. And we showed that from the New Testament, does God know the exact number of people who will be in that city? The answer to that is what? 
Yes, he does. And Paul speaks about this when he says, Our citizenry is not on earth, but it is in heaven. We are citizens of another time and another place. And of course, Hebrews chapter 12 talks about that. So not only does the Lord count, you'll notice this in verse 6, the Lord will count so he knows the number of the people in that city. But he also knows their names. It says he will count when he registers the peoples. And folks, to register someone means you have to write down their what? Their name. So the number of the people are not only known, but their names are written down. And we're not sure if the Lord is saying this or someone else is saying this, but you'll notice in verse 6 that when the Lord counts and He registers the peoples, someone, it may be the Lord, it may be the citizenry of that city, but what are they going to say? This one was born here. So... Only people entering into that city are those that are born from above. And if you've read Pilgrim's Progress, and every believer ought to read Pilgrim's Progress, you read that book, and Christian, it's an allegory, Christian comes to that city at the end of his life. He crosses over the river of death, and he comes up in that city, and the doors of that city open wide unto him. And he enters, he hears a voice that says this, enter into the joy of your Lord. Can you imagine that? What if that's real? And you pass over the rivers of death. You close your eyes and at that moment to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And what if the first thing you saw was you entering into the gates of this city and hear those words, enter into the joys of your Lord. Would that not be thrilling? That would be thrilling. And that brings us to our last consideration here in verse 7. The passage says, Then those who sing, as well as those who play the flutes, shall say, All my springs of joy are in you. Now the understanding of this passage depends on two things. First of all, what are the springs? Right? You've got to know what are the springs. And secondly, if I could word it this way, who are the those? Do you see that in verse 7? Then those who sing and those who play. So let's answer that second question first. Who would be the those? Can you, can you just, from what you know of this psalm, who are the those in verse 7? Yeah, they have to be the people who were born where? Born there, because they're the only ones there in that city. And so in verse 4, this one was born there. Verse 5, this one and that one were born in her. Verse 6, this one was born there. So these are the people of God, those who have been born from above. And what we know here in this is this, 
that in that city of God, the place where the Lord himself is at, the place where, can we word it this way? You ready? Abel is there. Noah is there. The prophets are there. Some of your relatives are there, right? In that city, those who have been born there, that city has singing and playing. Everybody see that from verse 7. Okay? Those who sing, those who what? Play. Now I'm just going to mention here that there is some textual discrepancy here because the word sing in verse 7 is a translation from the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament scriptures. But the Hebrew doesn't use the word for sing, it actually uses the word for dance. But in any case, whether it's singing or dancing, what do we know? There is vocal music there, right? In that city. That's why I have great hope that maybe the Lord will glorify my singing voice and I'll be part of that heavenly singing. But here is that singing and playing. Vocal music, instrumental music going on in that city. So there must be then spiritual music. You agree with that? So therefore I'm saying spiritual music in contrast to worldly music. What kind of music do you think God would have in a heavenly city not touched with human hands and the people there are regenerate people? This is what's going on there in that city. It's not the only thing going on there in that city, but this is going on in that city. And folks, what you do is you associate vocal music and instrumental music. What do you associate that with? You associate that with gladness and joy. Right? Isn't that why we like to sing? And so you have this, it says, all my springs, and then you have the translator's understanding, they put springs of joy. All my springs are in you, or what is springing out of me is in you. So who are the those? They're the people who have been born there. Will there be people playing musical instruments? Yes. Yes. Will there be people there with vocal music? The answer is yes. And of course that could go together in that city. Secondly, these people who have been born there, there are those who sing and those who play. And this is what characterizes what they're singing and playing. All my springs of joy are in you. Everybody see that phrase there in your Bible? All right. Now folks, I want you to answer this question. What or who is the object of their song and music? Okay, somebody said it. Rachel? It's you. Do you see that? 
All my springs of joy are in you. There's the object of their music and of their vocal expressions. What's the you? That's more difficult. What has the psalm been talking about? Well, the psalm has been talking about the city of God, right? So you've got glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God. You have a description about who are the people of this city. You have a description of people who are singing and playing. So it could be the city of God. And remember I told you that the city of God and the person of the Lord are pretty tied together here. To speak of one is to speak of the other. But who's the other possible subject? It is the Lord. Look at verse 1. His foundation. Who is the His? The Lord's foundation is in the holy mountains. The Lord loves the gates of what? Zion. Everybody see that? So you could have this. You could have what is, what is the object of the psalm as it's going through? Well, the object has to be the city of God. But folks, the other possibility, and it is an equal possibility, so if you're differing with me, I'm fine. But the other possibility is this, that the psalm book ends with the Lord. Right? It begins with the Lord, and it could book in with what? With the Lord. That the Lord is the you. If you read it this way, all my springs of joy are in the Lord. Or you could read it, all my springs of joy are in the city of God. Either one of those. But folks, the characteristic of the music is joy. Everybody see that? Okay? So here you have a city in which the people of God are going to take up their residence. And it is a city full of joy and gladness. Do you know what human beings crave in this life? Joy. They crave it. They may get it in an alcoholic drink. They may get it in the accumulation of material things. They may get it through sensuality and fornication. They may get it through social and parties. But man craves and yearns for gladness. Because this life under the sun, at best, folks, at best, is a fleeting joy. You agree with that? It's a fleeting joy. You can have joy, but the next day you're going to have to have it all over again. And the problem with our sin nature is that when we take our joys in things other than the Lord and the works of His hands, then it's like an addiction. You've got to have a little bit more of what brought you joy before to get the same high or the same gladness. It's like a drug. 
So what brought you joy in the early stages of sensuality and fornication will not be what will bring you joy five years from now in sensuality and fornication. You will have to go to greater depths. And the end of that pathway is death. But folks, there is a city that has joy and gladness that doesn't flee away. Can you imagine a life of everlasting gladness? Try. Just think about it. You and I are so close, so, so familiar with temporary joys that come and then go away. That new car that brought you happiness for a week or two get a scratch in it, and it's just another car, but you're left with the payments. (laughs) Right? It's a fleeting joy. But folks, the joy in heaven is not fleeting. It's constant. It's continual. It's heart expression. The very being of our person will be one of gladness and delight. And folks, you know this from the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation says there is coming a day when the Lord will wipe away every tear. Now folks, I don't know that what he's saying is is that the Lord's going to rehearse your life and every time that you had a tear, he's going to take his metaphorical hand, as it were, and kind of wipe away your tear. I think what he's saying is there will be no more tears. Period. Ever. Will never happen. There will be nothing, the Bible says, he will wipe away every tear. The Bible says no mourning. I don't mean M-O-R-N-I-N-G. I mean M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. Can you imagine a day like that? Every circumstance in your life brings you happiness. (laughs) Every relationship you have with other people is a delight. Everybody edifying you to loving the Lord more. Nobody tearing down your faith. Can you imagine a day like that? There is a day like that coming. He'll wipe away every tear. There will be no mourning. There will be no crying. I don't know if you've ever had someone you really cared about hurt you deeply. Like a knife being thrust right into your very soul. And the tears... And you just want the pain to go away. But it lingers and lingers like a poison in your soul. And your cry is, Lord, please don't let me get bitter. Please don't let me be that way. Because you know the dangers when that pain hits your soul. Folks, there is a day when there's no more crying No more pain. 
And then folks, think about this. Think about a day when there is no dying. Young people don't have this problem, but older people do, where they look in the mirror and they see decay and aging. They know their body is dying. They are weaker and weaker. I remember as a young boy, I couldn't wait for the day when I could beat my dad in arm wrestling. And I finally did. He was in his 50s. Woohoo, I beat an old man. <laughs> but I gloried in it for days. But my day's coming, and now is. Right? You see that decay. You see the decay in a society. You see the decay in your home. I mean, folks, if you don't keep up on your home, it's going to crumble. It's one big pile of dust. Your health, all we do all the time is try to get our health back up. What are we going to do in a city where there's no death and dying? I'll tell you what, you'll be happy. <laughs> you'll be glad. Because of the joy of that city. And folks, please hear me. You and I as believers have been given a down payment of this city. It's called the Holy Spirit. Right? And folks, one of the fruit of that Spirit is joy. The down payment, the taste of the joy that we will have in the future has already been given to you. Please hear me. It's not dependent on your circumstances. It's dependent on your relationship with the Lord. You can have the most miserable circumstances and have inner gladness. You can be sick and dying and in your inner man be glorying in the Lord. You can have people hurt you to the core. But open your Bible and you will find joy and delight. It is the down payment of what these people, the people who were born there, are having with no interference at all. And folks, I just want to say this. If you kept things like this into your mind, it would bring you great comfort on that day when we lay our heads down on that bed and we are seconds away from dying to have these kind of thoughts. Your hands will be loose from the things of this earth. You just want to go home and be here in that city. Everybody see that? This is why God has revealed this to us. So that we can have that hope of His calling. And folks, the object of this music and this instrumentation, as I mentioned, is either the city or the Lord. 
But in my mind, and in comparison to other passages, I think it is centered on the Lord Himself. Now let's just look at some passages here, and we'll be, we'll be done. I want you to take your Bibles, and I want you to turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 4. And folks, this is very instructive for us. And it is instructive for us when it comes to our music. Now the scripture that I'm looking at is not going to give us you know, musical chords so that we know exactly the kind of music that is being harmonized with the lyrics that we're going to read. But folks, I do know this. Now please hear me. That the springs of joy are in you. The Lord, not me. In other words, I'm not the object of the song. Everybody see that? It's not about me, my feelings, my love, my ambitions. It's not about any of this. And when you look in Revelation chapter 4, what we have is heaven being opened And what we see and what John sees is he sees a throne. And in Revelation chapters 4 and 5, you can go through there and underline every time the word throne is mentioned. It's mentioned 11 times in in chapter 4 and it's mentioned 5 times in chapter 5. So in two chapters, we have 16 mentions of the word throne. So guess what the center that the Holy Spirit wants you to note? He wants you and I to note the what? The throne. In Revelation 4 and verse 8, we had the first expression of vocal music in that city. It says in verse 8 that the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within, and day and night they do not cease to say this. All right, now, when I read this, what I want you to see is the object. Who is the focal point? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and is and who is to come. What do you think about that song? Do you think they're singing that in a minor key? Or do you think this is a fullness of joy with those creatures whose eyes are focused on the throne, singing of Him and delighting to sing in Him. Do you see anything in verse 8 about me? It's all about who? The Lord. His holiness. His trite holiness. He's the Almighty God. He's the one who always has been. He was and is and is to come. All my springs of joy are in you. And folks, that's who they are vocalizing to and about. It's about Him. 
Look again, <clears throat> verse 9, you got the living creatures, they fall down, they give glory and honor and thanks to Him that sits on the throne, to Him who lives forever. you got the 24 elders fall down <clears throat> before the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, look at verse 11, let's do the same analysis here. First thing you see in heaven, a throne. First thing you hear, this is the vocalization. Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. Who's the object? The Lord is. Do you see you in there anywhere? In the vocalization of that song? It's all about who? Him. And what He's done and His might and His attributes and His person. And folks, that is very instructive, isn't it? Modern music, not all of it, but modern music in the evangelical world has as its focus us. It will say things like this. This is what the Lord did for you. This is my love to God. There's a focus on humanity. <clears throat> Very little theology. And folks, I'm not saying that every song has to be completely all of Him and Him only. But I am saying this, that from Psalm 87, that psalm says what gives us delight, what the gladness in our heart is, what the joys that are springing like fountains out of us, they are in Him and what He has done. Everybody see that? Very instructive. Not only do we see that in the book of Revelation, but we also see it if we go back to the prophet Isaiah. Go to Isaiah chapter 12. Isaiah 12 speaks of these joys. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 12. Isaiah's preaching. He talks about the Lord coming down and having a second exodus. The first exodus was a physical people out of the land of Egypt. But there's going to be a second exodus. And it is going to be an exodus, as we know from the New Testament, of a calling out of people to His name that is going to deliver us from this world to the heavenlies. And so in Isaiah chapter 12 it says, Then you will say on that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for although you were angry with me, your anger is turned away, and you comfort me. 
Okay, who's the subject? The Lord is. Verse 2. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. Everybody see that? Who's the object? We're speaking, right? But we're speaking of who? Of Him and His works. Look at verse 3. Therefore, you will joyously draw what? Ah, where are you getting the water from? From the springs of... Not the Jordan. <laughs> the springs of salvation. Everybody see that? He's using an illusion, something that we can understand. You understand river, right? You understand flowing water. You and I understand fountain. We understand wells drawing out of the well. We understand all that, right? Therefore, because the Lord is my strength and my song, and He has become my salvation, and Lord, you've done something. You were angry with me, but you turned something, turn your anger away, and now you comfort me. Therefore, I will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. <clears throat> and in that day, you will say, Give thanks to the Lord. You ever said that? You didn't say that when you were lost. Give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Have you ever exhorted people and said something like this? I hear your problem. Let's pray. Make known His deeds among the people. Make them remember that His name is exalted. Have you ever told what the Lord has been doing in your heart and in your life? How He saved you. How He's answered prayer. How He did this. You ever done all that? You're drawing water out of the wells of His salvation. Now look at verse 5. Praise who? The Lord in song. Why? For He has done excellent things. Not you, not me, Him. He has done excellent things and let this be known throughout the earth. Cry aloud, shout for joy, all inhabitant of Zion. Now, is that Zion earthly or heavenly, you think? Well, heavenly and one day will be what? Earthly. Cry aloud, shout for joy, all inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Everybody see that? Would you say this? All the springs of joy are in you. Would you say that from Isaiah 12? That's exactly what Isaiah is preaching. Let's look at another one. Let's turn to two more in the New Testament. Turn to the book of John, chapter 4. Now you know this chapter. If I say John chapter 4, you know that immediately I'm going to talk about the woman at the, at the well. You ever heard about springs? And drawing from the springs 
right? Okay, look at this. Here's the woman at the well. The disciples go off to get food. Verse 7, Then came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me to drink. Verse 9, Therefore the Samaritan woman said, said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask, drink, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? And then there's a parenthesis. Why would she say that? Because the Jews have no what? No dealings with the Samaritans. Verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink. Everybody following this? If you knew the gift of God, and if you knew who I am, who said to you, give me a drink, the tables would be turned. That woman would have asked him for a what? A drink. And Jesus would have given you, verse 10, what kind of water? Living water. Now, the Jews would call it living water like not stagnant, like bubbling, like a fountain, a spring, right? When you see a spring, you've got water coming up, running, living water. But of course, he's speaking not only of bubbling, running water, he's speaking of real life, isn't he? So if this woman would have understood who he was who asked for a drink and if she really understood what the gift of God is, then she would have said, uh, you don't need to ask me for a drink. I need to ask you for what? For a drink. But she didn't understand yet, does she? Okay, verse 11. <clears throat> she said to him, Sir, <laughs> you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. So what is she thinking? Spiritual or physical? She's thinking physical, and she's saying, how are you going to give me something to drink when you don't even have a means to draw it up out of the well? This is like Nicodemus saying, can I enter into the mother's womb and be born again? And then she says, verse 11, where then do you get that living water? So she's beginning to think, maybe somebody imported this here. So verse 12, she asked, you're not greater than our father Jacob, are you? In other words, are you going to dig another well? He gave us this well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle. Jesus answered and said to her, verse 13, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. How many of you had a glass of water today? I did. Do you think you'll never have to drink a glass of water again? I can guarantee you when I go home, I'm going to get a glass of water. Why? I'm thirsty again. Right? That's the way this life is. He says, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. Verse 14. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. Everybody see that? But the water that I will give him, watch this, will become where? 
in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. In other words, folks, Jesus isn't going to go dig another earthly well. But he is greater than Jacob who dug that earthly well. Because what he can give you and I is an inner well. A well of salvation in which there would come out of that well water springing up like a fountain of eternal what? All my springs of joy will be in you. Do you hear that? This people who had been born from above. I don't know that Jesus is referring to Psalm 87, but folks, this definitely has implications for Psalm 87, doesn't it? Lastly, look in John chapter 7. In John chapter 7, Jesus is coming very close to the end of His ministry. And here in this psalm, excuse me, in this chapter, we'll begin reading in verse 35 of, excuse me, I'm not in John 7. Let's see. Make sure I got the right number. Okay. All right. So go down here to verse 37. He says, now on the last day. Everybody see that word last day? Okay. This was the last day of the Jewish feast. It went on for a week. It went from Sabbath to Sabbath. This would have been the last day. What day would it have been? It would have been a Sabbath day. And folks, during this week, they would observe the feast and what they would do. Now please hear what they're doing. Each day of this feast they would carry golden vessels. And in this golden vessel, they would go to the pool of Siloam. And they would fill those vessels with water from that pool. And they would carry it in procession. And they would carry it in possession in the presence of all the worshipers. So they would be watching the priests do this. They're carrying these vessels. The vessels are full of water. And they would go right into the temple. And when they came into that temple, and on the way they're doing it, they would be chanting the Psalms, the Hylial. They would enter into that temple, and what they would do, they would go inside that temple court, and they would pour out the water in the temple. And folks, what that symbolism symbolized was at least two things in their minds. First of all, God has supplied their need in the wilderness by giving them water, did He not? Very instructive. And secondly, and for our purposes, the most important, that water symbolized 
the promises that had been made in the Old Testament. Promises in the book of Ezekiel, promises in the book of Joel, promises in the book of Zechariah, that there would come a day when there would be rivers of water flowing from that city that would revive the desert land and make it fruitful. Everybody hear that? And folks, on the last day, on that Sabbath day, they've been doing it for day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, day seven. On this, that eighth day, on that Sabbath day, there would be no procession. And there would be no carrying golden vessels of water. So everybody got the picture? John 7, verse 37. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried. Can you imagine Him lifting up His voice? If anyone is thirsty, they've been pouring water for seven days. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to Me and drink. He who believes in Me, as the Scripture says, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Do you see that? Folks, this is the wells of salvation. Because the Bible says in John 7 verse 39, that He was speaking of living water and rivers of living water flowing out of our innermost being, who was He talking about? He was talking about the Spirit of God. Folks, the Spirit of God is life. Can the Spirit of God take a lost, famished, dry, land of a lost person and make it fruitful? The answer to that is what? Yes. So come to Him and out of your innermost being because folks, now the Holy Spirit has come. When we believe, we receive the down payment of the Holy Spirit out of our innermost being flows rivers of living water. Well, folks, if I say innermost being, wash my hands. If I say innermost being flows, where's it coming out of? Your mouth. That doesn't mean you're spouting water everywhere. But folks, when a person gets saved, their speech changes. Am I right? When a person gets saved, their music begins to change. When a person gets saved, their conversation begins to differ. Why? Because what's flowing out of that regenerate person's life, that well of salvation that Jesus offered to that Samaritan woman, and she accepted it. 
And folks, once that occurs in the life of a genuine believer, they will never thirst for any other God. They will find all their thirstiness satisfied in who? In the Lord. Everybody see that? So folks, would it not make sense, as we conclude, turning back to Psalm 87, would it not make sense that if you went to a city whose builder and maker is God, if you went somewhere looking for a better country, that is a heavenly country, and God looks down at people who desire that type of better country, a heavenly country, God says, that person... I'm not ashamed to be called their God. And what I'm going to do for them, I'm going to prepare for them a better country. I'm going to prepare for them a city. A city of God. And the people who are registered in that city and the people who are counted as as the citizenry of that city are people who have been born there. Everybody see that? And folks... The focus of that city is on the Lord. Everything about Him becomes our speech. All of our delights are in Him. In His works. In His person. We love Him. And folks, wouldn't it make sense... That if that's the case, and every one of those people in that city have a well of living water inside of them, and now there's no sin nature, that all my springs of joy would be in You, O Lord. That's our future. That's where believers are heading. Isn't that worth a little trial on earth? Isn't that worth a little tribulation? Life here so fleeting and momentary. 70, if by reason of strength, 80. That's not many years, is it? To spend eternity in a city of joy and gladness in Him. Let's pray.